My name is Gene Colan, and welcome to my studio. Each time I got a story, it was always uppermost in my mind as to how different can I make this one, and this one, and so on. And as they came in, it was, I just threw myself into it, lived another life in a sense. I tried to get into that story myself. I tried to jump into the page and try to imagine what it would be like to see it visually as an outsider. When you have it developed a style, it's as recognizable as your hand, as your handwriting. Same thing. I wanted the, the story to be sort of uh, mystifying and sinister. Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another exciting episode of FW Presents, the random anthology show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Ryan Daly, back to discuss another comic by my favorite artist, Gene Colan. As this episode is dropping just before the 4th of July, I thought it appropriate to finally tackle one of Gene Colan's issues of Captain America. Bear in mind that when I came up with that brilliant bit of synchronicity, I had no idea the United States would be self-combusting over issues of racial justice and symbols of patriotism and national identity. Oh, 2020, I can't wait to see what you have in store for Halloween. But for now, my guest and I are going to try our best to talk about, let's say, the more adventurous spirit of Marvel's Captain America. And speaking of my guest, you know him as a fellow Fire and Water All-Star. He is the co-host of JLUcast, Superman Movie Minute, Power Records, and my partner on Batman Nightcast. He also has a majestic, awe-inspiring toy room, which you can check out over on the Fire and Water Network's YouTube channel. You know who I mean. It's Chris Franklin. What's up, Chris? Hey, Ron. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you for being on the show at last. Um... Your love of DC superheroes is quite well known for our listeners, uh, but I have rarely heard you talk about Marvel's heroes outside of the movies and you know, the occasional Power Records episode, but you have said that Captain America is your favorite Marvel hero, yes? Yes, that's true, yes. So how and when did you discover the character, and what made him your favorite? You know, I don't know when I discovered Cap. I had the Captain America Mego figure uh, very early on, and I had an issue of Spider-Man, and I wish I'd, I'd known this off the top of my head, but there's an issue of Spider-Man I had early on, Amazing Spider-Man, where uh, it's Captain America and uh, uh, Spider-Man versus Electro, and Electro's kidnapped this kid who happens to have the bubonic plague. He's the <laughs> son of some senator or something, and... And Cap gets involved and basically tells Spider-Man, "Look, you gotta you gotta take it easy on this one because this kid's got the plague." And you know, like, yeah, yay, we're talking about plague during a pandemic, <laughs> but uh, we're all sorts of hot topics in this episode. Uh, but woo, yeah. But I think that might be the first comic book I own. But I feel like I knew Cap through merchandise. And then there were the Red Brown TV movies, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which. I, I understand that they're they're not the Captain America that people expected, but there's a part of me that unabashedly still has a, a big uh, a, a lot of affection for for those two movies. So, uh, and then it's and then around that point, I started picking up the comics, and you know he'd occasionally appear on on the uh, you know Spider Man's Amazing Friends or the '80s solo Spider Man cartoon, and then 
not too long after that, a local syndication station started playing the 60s Marvel superheroes cartoon, and I was I liked all of them, but when it was a Captain America day, I was super excited. So, uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it was kind of a slow build and, and, you know, and, and, and I started picking up cat books kind of after the one we're talking about, like regularly during the, uh, James De Mateus and, and Mike Zeck run. That's yep. when I really, uh, started, uh, that, that Rob and, and Sean Ross just talked about on, uh, Mountain Comics. That's kind of right when I came in, like more or less full time when I could, I picked them up when I found them on the newsstand. So, yeah. That's 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 how all that started. <laughs> like yeah, I think it was merchandise. I, I it must have been because I knew who he was pretty early on, but I wasn't getting into Marvel Comics until the nineties. But Captain America was one of the only Secret Wars toys that I had. I had uh, Doctor Doom, Spider Man, and Captain America. So I knew who the character was just as an icon, as a symbol. Uh, uh, but by the time I was reading comics regularly and collecting my own, you know. 90s grunge or like hip hop just wanting to be a rebel I was all into the X-Men because they were the persecuted you know they they were the cool ones in the 90s Captain America like Superman in my mind at the time was just he represented the system the status quo and he was he was lame I would have said you know without any basis for that but whenever I did see him do guest appearances I was always like Okay, maybe he's not so lame. This guy seems like he's pretty cool, and he, I kind of, I kind of like what he's going. But yeah, I didn't get into the comics until much later, and it was I was reading him in a lot more Avengers books before I ever started getting into his his own stuff. And it was really, God, it was as late as the Ed Brubaker run. It was when that started when he brought back Bucky and the whole Winter Soldier and everything. That was when I started collecting Captain America on the regular, and just liked that so much that started going back and backfilling and reading his older adventures and everything. And there's still some that I'm I'm going back, but yeah, and my next question was going to be like a favorite Captain America run that you have, but I, I'm even trying to figure that out for myself because I love the Demetrius and Zek run that you mentioned. I love the Stern and Burn run that came before that, which was very brief, only nine issues or so. Uh, I still love all of the stuff that Ed Brubaker did, but like even like when Captain when Jack Kirby came back in the seventies, I like that stuff for just like how bombastic it was with the energy he had, and I love the the Sal Buscema and Steve Englehart run. So it's he. Uh, this is a character who has been blessed with a lot of highs in his publishing history. I, I agree, and all those you said would be ones I would mention. <laughs> I would say though, really, I mean, I'm a real big fan of the Lee Kirby run from Tales of Suspense and, yeah. and the first the first few. Uh, issues of of the Captain America when Tales of Suspense, uh, you know, took that name for its title, and uh, partially because of those Marvel superhero cartoons, which were we'll get into, but were direct adaptations. Literally, Jack Kirby's drawings, you know, barely animated and thrown across the TV screen. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was it was really it really was you know a lot, a lot like Rob's beloved video comics on Nickelodeon. This was pretty much the same thing with just a little bit more animation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I was exposed to those, um, you know, and that that's probably where I really started to love Jack Kirby too, because I was seeing earlier Kirby, and then that like helped me accept like later Kirby that was kind of strange looking. He becomes so stylistic, and so you know, then I kind of started to appreciate that. But I really just, I just, I just really love the, uh, you know, the, they did the World War II stories, they did the modern stories, and 
That was a great run. Uh, another run that that what didn't bring up was after the the Captain America John Walker storyline that oh, Grunewald yeah. did. Yeah. That's a great one. And of course, I guess we're going to get some kind of adaptation of that in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, TV series when that ever is <laughs> able to finish filming and get released. Um, uh, God, if but, it hadn't been uh, for the pandemic, it probably would have been coming out soon. Like I, I think originally, originally it was slated for sort of towards the end of this calendar year. But like right before the pandemic dropped, I think they were bumping it forward because I think they wanted to release WandaVision this year too. So, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been for the pandemic, we might have been able to see that by now. Who knows? Yeah, I know. They, they I were, mean, t- timing it around 4th of July probably would have been a nice bit of synchronicity if they could have. Yeah, and wouldn't we all love to see the Falcon become Captain America right now if that's going to happen? And if it yeah. isn't Marvel, change it. Change it to where he becomes the Falcon. I mean, Falcon becomes Captain America now, okay? Now they've got the time, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think they were filming in Prague when they shut down. So, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that was a that was a great storyline. And and after that, there was a, like a, when Kieran Dwyer came on the book, there was a they did the Bloodstone um, uh, yeah. saga, and and it, it was like Cap and Diamond back, and that's when they introduced Crossbones, and uh, that that was a, that was another great one. It was real exciting. I was, I mean, that there was some great uh, Grunwald. I think he. I think Mark Gruenwald, in much respect to Mark Gruenwald, I, I, I do think he probably stayed on the book a little too long. You know, toward the end when he got into well, let's face it, Cap Wolf and the armor and all that stuff. But, <laughs> but the first part of his run is really great too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I haven't read hardly any of the back half of his run. Um, like I just, I, I kind of fizzled. I was like, I was reading through his run. And I was like, okay, I need to t- kind of take a break and, and move on to reading other things. So I just kind of stalled out. But I've also heard that same sort of criticism. It's like, you know what? He was on it too long. The second half of his run isn't nearly as good. So I'm kind of, I don't really have the motivation, but I do, I do need to get into those. Cause I've read some of the, like the, oh, those early crossbones appearances that I like. So, and speaking of that, actually, um, favorite Captain America villain, like from his rogues gallery, who would you say? <laughs> you know I'm going to say Baron Blood. Uh, <laughs> that's one of them. Uh, you know, I I, I don't want to say I like the Red Skull because, you know, especially nowadays, that's not a good thing to say. But, I mean, he really is a great comic book villain. I yes, mean, he, yes. I mean, he is one of those, you know, and, and, and I think he, I'm sure some writers have tried to make him semi-sympathetic, but, uh, you know, I, you really can't. I mean, no. he's a... Uh, He's an evil bellhop who became a Nazi, <laughs> which is, I, I like the fact that he was a very nobody, nothing character that that was molded into this personification of evil in the in the comics, uh, because to me, that makes him more pathetic. And therefore, even, you know, you can even sneer at him even more because it's like, well, this dude was just a freaking bellhop, you know, right. and and. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and I, and I did like his portrayal in the first Avenger film. Uh, of course I love everything about that movie, but, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's one, um, you know, and, uh, I, I do kind of, you know, Badrock Zilipa, uh, you know, <laughs> the, he, he's fun. Um, Baron Zemo, the second, I like both Baron Zemos, but the second one that had the secret wars figure, you know, and, and, and was introduced in the, uh, as the Phoenix and the, they ad- adapted into the power records with the. You know, you got a face full of adhesive X, just like Daddy. You know, uh, it's like, dude, lay off the glue. You know, it's like they sh- they should be the poster children for not huffing glue, right? Uh, so <laughs> they should show that Mike Zek panel where he takes his mask off and it's all, bah! you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, but no, him, you know, Arnim Zola. There, there's some 
there's some great uh, cap villains and and uh, I you know all the classics like that I I, I kind of dig and and they, they they bring them back. It's like the cap villains come back, but I, I feel like each time the it seems like the creative teams when they bring them back. It's like they usually have a pretty good reason to bring them back, and they they've got a new angle with them. I'll give them that. It's not like oh god, it's Arnim Zola again. No, it's it's usually it's usually a pretty big, re- a cool reveal and a good story uh, involved. So yeah, I did a, a spot for uh, Diablo Frank's Marvel superhero like show when he was talking about when he's going through Ohatmu, and I I picked the Arnim Zola because I just as a as a visual design like what the hell was Jack Kirby thinking when he came up with that idea. Of just like this giant sort of robot body with a TV screen and a chest and a uh, like a surveillance camera for a head, uh, and just like with a face on there, just how weird is that looking thing? But I just I love that and the fact that he's like this evil geneticist with a with a, like a, a Swiss German accent and everything. It's just so so delicious and like that, that's everything that I love about superhero comics that you can have a villain like that. That's something like, like Captain America fights. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, like the Red Skull, yes, obviously everything that he represents is terrible and you don't want to read too much of him because you start to feel gross. But as a, again, as a design, the fact that he, his face is just a blood red skull and it's whether he's wearing the SS uniform or just like the green Hydra jumpsuit or like a white tuxedo, whatever it is, like that, that face, that image is just evil incarnate. And as a as a shorthand representation for evil and villainy, you can't beat them. I mean, I think Red Skull and Darth Vader have those looks where you look at them and you just say, bad, bad guy, evil, don't want nothing to do with that. Yep. So it's just when you've got a hero as iconic as Captain America draped in the, the colors and the, the iconography of the flag, you need something that looks evil. Red Skull, Red Death, it's perfect. Exactly. All right, uh, switching on to the story that we're talking about. Listeners, I warned you before on a previous episode that the issues we cover on this showcase are not meant to be Gene Colan's greatest hits. Uh, this show is going to be a random sampling of Colan's work from my collection. When we think of Gene Colan on Captain America, I would love to discuss the first appearance of the Falcon or any of the stories around that era, especially with all that is going on in the country right now. I would love to shine a big bright light on a preeminent black superhero. But I don't have that issue, or any of the issues with the Falcon. So instead, I've got this really weird Captain America issue 256, which is an issue that the editor Jim Salakrup pulled out of inventory when Roger Stern and John Byrne abruptly quit the book, as Byrne is sometimes wont to do. Uh, So this is the issue that Chris and I are going to discuss. Captain America 256 has an April 1981 cover date. But according to Mike's Amazing World, the book would have hit the streets on January 6th. Murray Severin drew the cover, which shows Captain America walking through an old wooden castle door. The light from the open doorway, as well as the two eye-like holes in the wall, create the ghostly image of a face about to swallow Captain America. The text on the side announces the issue's title, The Ghosts of Greymore Castle. What do you think of the cover? I really like this cover. I, I think Marie Severin is incredibly underrated. 
I uh, also like the fact that every picture of her ever taken at Marvel, she looks like she's ticked off. Uh, which is, <laughs> she does. She looks like she's so ticked off, and it's like she's like reminds me of my grandmother. Don't take my picture, you know. Uh, uh, which is you know, there's all these pictures of my gr- and video of my grandmother crawling through the hallway at Christmas trying to get away from the video camera. You know, uh, it's like don't don't get me on camera. Uh, but uh, yeah, she she is a great mimic because. This feels colon esque without looking like she's swiping Gene Colon. I mean, all the shadows and mm-hmm. and 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 just the framing and everything and the stonework and stuff. It it's not it's not her doing Gene Colon, but it's her affecting a Gene Colon mood. Yeah, and it really works. I like I like the face and it's uh, it's really sharp. She did a lot of covers for Marvel over the years. If you go through and 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 look and and uh, she's just she's just great. I mean, I, she was like a Jill of all trades at Marvel. And and I, I you know I, I did somebody do a book on Marie Sever? I think they either they were doing one or it came out. I I need to look into that because I want to read a book on Marie Sever. <laughs> Me too. I yeah. I and she's one that I didn't take notice of until relatively recently. But I really like her stuff. I like her early Hulk work. I, I don't look at this and say it's Gene Colan, but it does have those shades. It does sort of remind me of it. Um, it also seems like kind of like a throwback cover. Like I would have expected this something more in the early seventies. Like uh, like uh, it would have fit into kind of like more of their horror realm, which kind of gets into the. Uh, the nature of this story. But yeah, really, really cool, interesting piece. The coloring really helps this one, makes it pop. So yeah, fun cover. Mm-hmm. The Ghosts of Greymore Castle is written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Gene Colan, with the inks of Dave Simons, Al Milgram, and Frank Giacoya. Lettered by Jim Novak, colored by Bob Sharon, and edited by Jim Salakrup, as I mentioned. Captain America comes to see the decrepit ruins of Greymore Castle, recalling how he came to England to help his old invaders' partners, Spitfire and Union Jack, fight the vampire Baron Blood in recent issues. Before going back to the States, Cap wants to see Greymore Castle, the site of a great battle for him and Bucky during World War II. He thinks back to an event from 1940. As Steve Rogers, a soldier in the Allied forces, he was sent on a mission while the regimental mascot, Bucky Barnes, had to stay behind. While Steve was gone, the barracks was attacked. Bucky changed into his sidekick costume, but was captured by Nazis who planned to use him to lure Captain America into a trap. In the present, Captain America enters the crumbling castle and wanders around, feeling a flood of memories. He doesn't notice a suit of knight's armor begin to move. It creeps up behind him, brandishing a spiked mace. Back in 1940, Captain America walked into the trap set for him. He and Bucky were taken to Greymore Castle, where the Lord, Cedric Rawlings, a scientist, had discovered a radioactive Z-ray that shrank objects. The Nazis wanted the Z-rays to condense their rocket fuel, testing it on Cap and Bucky by holding them over a pit of radiation in the bowels of the castle, that was just a bonus. But Cedric's sister, Celia, didn't want to help the Nazis. She freed Captain America and Bucky, but was mortally wounded in the process. The death of his sister caused Cedric Rawlings to repent and fire a rocket of Z-rays against a Nazi-fortified position. The rocket blast devastated the castle, killing all of the Nazis and Cedric. All of this, by the way, was originally told in Tales of Suspense issues 69 through 71. 
In the present, Cap sees a glowing light beneath a door. As he investigates, he sees the knight's armor behind him attack. Cap manages to block the spiked mace with his shield, but the fight pushes Cap through the door. There is nothing on the other side except an opening gap and a fall that leads to the Z-Ray radiation pit. Cap manages to snag a rope hanging over the pit and swing out of the way of the radiation just in the nick of time, but he falls precariously and knocks himself out on the floor. The armored knight jumps, grabs the rope, and swings down. The knight then seems to recognize Captain America. Later, Captain America wakes up, seated in an armchair, and the knight offers him a glass of wine. He says he wants to see Cap drink to prove he's not a ghost. The knight removes his helmet to reveal the burned and aged face of Cedric Rawlings. He tells Cap that he has been haunted by ghosts in the castle for decades. Cap thinks it's just his guilty conscience for betraying his country and getting his sister killed, but Rawlings says there are other ghosts at work. Captain America wanders around, hearing suspicious creaks and sounds. A massive stone gargoyle falls, nearly crushing him. Rawlings asks if he believes in ghosts now, but Cap sees something in the shadows that leads him to think someone else, someone living, is there and trying to get them to leave. Cap chases the shadowy attacker up one of the castle's standing battlements. The attacker hurls ovoid discs laced with acid that Cap blocks with his shield. He suspects that a ghost wouldn't have need for such weapons. The mystery attacker heads down the turret staircase, while Cap goes outside the castle and slips back in below, cutting the other man off. The mystery attacker is revealed to be the Demon Druid, sometimes known as Dreadman Druid because there's another character in the Marvel Universe named Demon Druid. He fights Cap, but he's pretty pathetic, and Cap makes fun of his inadequacy. The druid takes an axe from a knight display and swings it. Cap dodges easily, but hears the hollow sound in the, fl in the stone when the axe connects. The druid flings more acid at Cap. The acid eats away through enough of the floor that it collapses beneath Cap's feet, leaving him dangling over the Z-Ray pit. The druid approaches, about to chop down with the axe, when Cedric Rawlings jumps out and tackles the druid over the ledge. Captain America reaches out and catches Cedric, while the druid falls into the radiation pit, shrinking into nothingness. Cap and Cedric investigate the hollow stone that Cap heard and find an ancient tome of occult spells left by the druids. This is what the demon druid had been in the castle looking for. Cedric gives it to Captain America, who says he will pass it to his friend Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. And that's the end of this story. So, Chris, what did you think? Well, um, yeah, this is a <laughs> this is an interesting story because it's like it's like Mantlo, like it's like you know Jim Salakrup came up and said uh, Stern and Byrne just left the book, so uh, what can you do? I mean, if it was an inventory story, I guess it's a little bit different, but it feels like it feels like uh, he like went into the refrigerator and and made a meal out of leftovers, you know. Uh, <laughs> Because, uh, you know, a, 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 a decent meal. I'm not saying that it's a bad meal, but uh, because, you know, you've got, you know, Cap saying, hey, I was in England, uh, you know, just recently, you know, I'm, I'm in England. I just uh, helped defeat Baron Blood in like the greatest two part story ever. Uh, so I might as well uh, stop uh, stop by Greymore Castle. And but then you got uh, you got, doc, you know, Dr. Rawlings and and then you've got. 
the demon druid man we'll get into him but uh it, it does feel like this is a fill-in issue because it feels like it's in between two um you know two runs basically which i guess mm-hmm. it is because the mike zek will come on in a couple <laughs> issues yeah. as well uh so but um yeah it's uh it, it's interesting it, it it's uh I, I don't know. I don't want to bang on it. Too. I, I think Bill Mantlo is is uh, underappreciated, uh, you know, in a lot of ways. And you know, he had long runs on Micronauts and Hulk and Rom and created Rocket Raccoon and and uh, but and he did a great job with what he had here. But it's just it literally is like, okay, let's uh, we're we're on a deadline crunch. Show. What what can we throw together quick? And and Gene Colan's fast, and we'll get him three anchors and. And we'll get this book out. That's and if it was if it was an inventory story that they edited to add the uh, the Baron Blood stuff in here and there, then then that's a little bit different. But it, it definitely feels like a deadline cruncher. My understanding is that it was an inventory story, and they maybe like tweaked some of the cap- the writing on the first and last pages to make it like okay. to, to make allusions to hey the fact that he was already in England. Just like like I think this would have taken place right before 255 like it, it could have been slotted in before that because this um what was the barren blood story was it 252 253 or it was the it was there was the before this one 255 was the it was 253 and 254 because okay. 255 was the anniversary issue with the origin yeah so i think i think luckily like this would have just slotted in right kind of like before that as like you know before he comes back to the states or something like that um but my understanding is the the story was done and maybe the pencils were or they just kind of like rushed it to to get, like put the different inkers on it or maybe maybe colin did do that do it you know based on just the script that was already done but i i think that uh Salakrup has kind of said that yeah like they they had this story just in a box just kind of like sitting there like they one of the things as editors he did was he was picking up a couple of extra stories that they just that that they could have put anywhere and as a story i mean yeah it's it's um it's a callback to an a story from 20 years earlier almost or something like that like with the the tales of uh, suspense stories um with the the z rays and everything and bill mantler just revisited that but also a story that doesn't really have any lasting consequences so it's fine i mean it's it's not necessarily uh, the most memorable captain america story you could have almost put any hero in here it could have been an indiana jones story honestly but uh, for me the the reason why i like the story the reason why i i have a genuine like enthusiasm when I look at this is is the art. I think Gene Colan does a great job. He brings so much energy to it, and I don't know what it is. I mean, you look at Colan and what he does on like something like Tomb of Dracula and Night Force, and those kind of like really odd like mysterioso and horror type of stories. And it's like that. Why would you put him on somebody like Captain America or Wonder Woman? It just seems like it wouldn't fit, but I think it does really well. And I'm not saying he is my favorite Captain America artist. He's not, but I genuinely like what he does for Captain America. And, and like just the, the, um, the, the body postures, the positions, the way he shows cap in movement. It's so dynamic and it's so interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that the art is definitely the reason to to, to find this issue and, and track it down and mm-hmm. and and because you put like you basically put two uh, Gene Colan tastes together. You've got the the castle from Tomb of Dracula yeah, and yep. his Captain America run together. Yeah, the movement. I, I mean, particularly when Cap saves himself when he's first fallen into the pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the upshots that he he wrote he go he goes back and forth between an upshot and a downshot. 
uh, and then back again in, in like four panels. And it really sells how, you know, Cap's, you know, moving his, twisting his body to, to, to grab a hold of this rope and save himself. And, uh, you know, I mean, Colin's no slouch on, you know, swinging uh, characters thanks to Daredevil, uh, obviously, <laughs> and Captain America, uh, you know, as well. But, uh, yeah, this the the artwork here is just uh, I, I, I got to I, I don't want to jump ahead too much because I don't know how how in detail we'll get. But that page where Cap is sitting in the chair and. <laughs> The knight is bringing him a goblet. I mean, it looks like King Captain America. I mean, it, <laughs> if you took if you took all the many many word balloons that that Mantlo wrote for this out, you would be asking yourself, "Wait a minute, is Captain America back in time somewhere where he's like the king of some court now?" Or you know, it, it it's a really cool image. I mean, and, and you don't know it's Rawlings yet. It just looks like a knight, you know. That's that's literally. You know, my liege, you know, or something like that. It's, 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 it, it, you know, that would be a cool print just to like have hanging on your wall as a conversation yeah. piece. Like, why is the knight like bringing Captain America a goblet and he's sitting on a throne? And it's, it's, it's just a really, and, and all the detail he put in the background of the castle. And it's, it's, it's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Right from like the first page, like when you get the, the castle in the background, the mood, it's, you've got like, Captain America with his bright patriotic colors just sh- setting out, but everything else about the story seems like a Hammer horror movie, which was part of the reason why I thought you would enjoy this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got like this old old gothic castle, and then yeah, like the, just this moving knight armor like, following Cap through these dark halls, and like the, the it's not just like the castle, but that's the fact that the castle is like dying and decrepit and broken down, and like there's holes in the floor and everything. Page eight, this is the splash page where he's falling uh, over the Z-ray pit and everything like that. And then the page right after that when he's doing, when he's grabbing the rope to save himself. You're absolutely right. Just like the composition of shots, the movement, the fluidity. I just, it's such an exciting little piece. And then, yeah, like the, the mood and the atmosphere of when like the, the knight picks him up and he's giving him a drink. And it's like, this is an odd setting for him to wake up to. <laughs> It's like, did he get transported out of time? And I think that's why you can get somebody like Colin on a story like this, because it is it is playing to his strengths. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this could, you know, it's like a, we're, we're ahead of that uh, uh, Kurt Busiak and George Perez storyline where the Avengers were went back in the past and yeah. had knights costumes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually remember the Greymore Castle storyline from Tales of Suspense was adapted into the Marvel superheroes cartoon. Was it? Uh, yes, yes. It's uh, it's actually I even have it on video cassette uh, because in the early nineties, this a company called Best Film uh, Core or something put out a bunch of Marvel uh, D- uh, not DVDs VHS uh-huh. uh, tapes. Uh, I don't know if they I don't know if they really did the sixty Spider Man cartoon much, but they had the uh, like the eighty Spider Man cartoon and Spider Man is Amazing Friends. And um, the Marvel superheroes cartoon, and there's, I think it's on the one that's got the origin of Captain America. There, there's there's that story, uh, three parts, and then there's these three parts from from those Tales of Suspense issues. So, I mean, I knew that story as a kid, you know, watching it, and then later I got like the essential Captain America Volume One that's that also reprints uh, it as well. So, I when I first saw this, I saw this comic in a back issue bin. I'm like, ooh, Graymore Castle, I know that, you know, so <laughs> I would have bought it anyway, but especially with the cover, and then I'm like, oh, cool, Gene Colan drew it, so, uh, yeah, it's, 
it's a nice sequel in a lot of ways in that in that regard. Although, if you read that story, the castle's completely decimated. I mean, Cap says, "I thought it was completely destroyed." It was. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing but rubble. There's no castle left. At, you know, and and uh, one thing that is kind of weird because Matlow calls back to so many things. He he does leave out the fact that. Cedric Rawlings had a robotic hand, and the reason he had a robotic hand is apparently his sister, uh, when he was she was assisting him in an experiment, she caused some accident that caused him to lose his hand, huh. and that's why she stayed with him even after he sold out to the Nazis because uh, she felt like she owed it to him even though she deplored him for doing it, and then of course she got fed up with it when they were trying to kill Cap and Bucky, and then she herself got killed, and then that's why he felt so repentant. But uh, yeah, so the robot, I'm kind of, I was kind of waiting for the robotic hand to, sh- to show up when I was rereading this, and I'm like, oh, it doesn't. Okay, all right. <laughs> I can, yeah, I completely forgot about it. I, I read the the original story years ago, but I forgot that the, about the ro- robot hand part of it. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't and, know if it's like super strong or anything, but he just had one, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> and, and again, it, it's something that Gene Colan could do. Like the the way Rawlings' face has been like mutated and damaged by the radiation and the in the time and everything. Like that, like when he takes the helmet off, that looks like something out of Night Force or, or one of his other like weirder books or something like that. That's just gruesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cedric Rawlings wasn't a handsome guy to begin with, but yeah, he he got he got hit with Colin's ugly stick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He, he's not a handsome man, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the page when the gargoyle comes down, which is one of my favorite pages, possibly my favorite page in the book. Uh, like it's the three panels. There's the one on the top with just the rocks like bouncing off his shoulder, and he suspects. And then the big dynamic, he's holding up the the shield to block the the gargoyle. There's like a mist. It's not. It is a coloring error, but I think it's partly the, like the way the pencil is drawn. The mask, the cowl seems to be coming down too close to Cap's mouth. Like it's mm-hmm. like there's not enough cheek exposed, and it's like Colin didn't do, draw like the line underneath, like where the mask should have gone. So the colors just kind of like went over, almost all the way to his mouth. So it's just it's slightly slightly kind of a weird look for the cowl in that one. But other than that, I love that image, that page. Yeah, that's really sharp. The the way his cow looks right there, it looks like the uh, the nineteen forties movie serial where the the guy just playing cap just had like basically like a tiny hole in <laughs> for his mouth and his nose to stick like out a of the mask that just has the eyes and the, <laughs> the mouth. Hole. Almost, yeah. That's a weird. Mo- that's not a very good movie serial. I'm sorry. It's not, <laughs> bare, It's barely Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Demon Druid, a.k.a. Dreadman Druid, um, I, I knew that he was a thing, so I looked him up. His first appearance was in Strange Tales issue 144. It was that he was a Doctor Strange villain initially. Um, that same issue, Strange Tales 144, in the Nick Fury segment of that, that was the first appearance of Special Agent Jasper Sitwell from S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm, um, wow. But then the Druid would come back, and for some reason he became a, a Captain America villain. He, he, he was in a story arc from, I think, the 180s, like right before Jack Kirby came back. Uh, and then I think he was in the Cap Wolf story. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot that part. Yeah, uh, he I'm sorry. This guy is uh, he looks like a Galactus cosplayer who got dressed at a steakhouse. I mean, 
I, I don't know what's going on with he's got like these big steer horns and and then this weird handle thing coming up from him. I I don't understand this guy's costume. I don't think he made it into a hot move. And I'm glad because if he did, the 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 girls would. I think they'd keep laughing so long that Siskoid <laughs> would have to cancel the show. I, I mean, he is. Wow, what a mort. I mean, I'm just, and even Cap, the look that Colin gives Cap on the page where he's introduced, he's like, why, you really? Oh, man, you suck. I mean, he, that's, <laughs> that is the look on Captain America's face. He's like, you know, it's not like you, the the super adaptoid, or, you know, or, or, or you know, Artem Zola or something. No, it's like, oh, God, you really? Oh, geez. You know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when when they're fighting and like he's thrown the acid disc and they, they're starting a fire and he's coming after him with an axe, he goes, "Curse you, Captain America! I'll not let you mock me with my own inadequacy." And Cap's like, "You admit it? That's one for the books." <laughs> yeah, Cap knows this guy's lame, and he doesn't even keep the pretense up much longer. He's like, "Yeah, I'm lame, and you pissed me off because you brought it up. I know I'm lame, all right." <laughs> <laughs> You are not one of Steve Ditko's better creations. <laughs> Is he from the Steve Ditko era of Doctor Strange? I, I think it was. A, I think I think Ditko was still on the book at that time. Yeah, I think Steve Ditko drew that section and created that guy. I can't. can't oh wow! Of. Well, I guess I should apologize if, if it, Steve Ditko. Well, <laughs> if it wasn't Ditko, it might have been Gene Colan who created him. Let me do, do a real quick. I wasn't. I wasn't really, you know, honestly aware of this guy too much. Yeah, he, he's got like a dozen appearances, strangely. But and he, I don't think he ever does make it into a hot move that I know uh, of. Maybe I, the Book of the Dead. Maybe I don't know. Unless he's under that other name, I don't. I don't recall him. I have all the books of the dead, but I don't know. Looking this up really quick. Wait a minute. It wasn't. He was in the Nick Fury story, not the Doctor Strange story. Hmm. Penciler was Howard Purcell, but Jack Kirby did the cover. Okay. Okay, so, all right. Okay, so, so correction. I think it was a Jack Kirby design, because I, oh. I, bet, I bet it was based on Kirby, because, I mean, it looks Kirby-esque enough. Um, yeah. And, and But, yeah, I, I, got, I got it wrong. It wasn't, he was, uh, it wasn't in the Doctor Strange story. It was in the Nick Fury story that also in, introduced Jasper Sitwell. That's where the druid first originated. Well, you know, I I will say that you know sometimes Kirby does he's kind of like George Perez in, in in that way he designs characters that look really they look good under him but under other people even somebody like Gene Colan don't look so good you know so I mean but I, I mean yeah it, it's that should have been obvious I, I think I mean the fact that you said it, it kind of there were shades of Galactus I mean just he, he's purple he's got like these weird horns things but also looks like he's got like um like a luggage case handle or something like that. He would drag it like on top of it. Like you would just grab him by this little handle thing and just pull his head somewhere. Like that has got to be strategically bad for fighting. I don't know how this guy ever enters a room between the two <laughs> things coming out of his head. I mean, he's got to, he's got to like tilt down and turn sideways when he comes in a room, you know, it's, <laughs> But the fight scene's really good with him and Cap. I mean, it's it, it's like real cl- close quarters. You feel like yes. this guy is all up in Cap's grill. I mean, literally up, up in his shield because I mean, when he comes at him with the axe and and uh, it's it, it, you know, Colin really sells the the battle. I mean, yeah, Cap 
puts this guy in the in the loser category, but he's still you know he's still got to fight him. He still he still could kill him. You know he's got weapons. He's he's not completely lame in that department, and and you do get the sense of danger as he's as he's fighting him despite Cap's confidence. So yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. And the the page where they're fighting, it's like my first thought was. Kirby-esque action sequences, just like when the axe comes down, he grabs the handle, he's flipping him over, just sort of the the composition, some of the angles, but you wouldn't confuse it with Kirby, because it's definitely Colin style, and it's got his sort of flow and movement, but it's just, it feels big, it feels high energy, it's exciting, I just, yeah, again, like, the story is kind of, it's inconsequential, I think, unless the occult book does, if that going to Wanda trying to think of what story that might have affected if it even did if that ever came up again but it's it's not like a, a necessarily a memorable story or plot it is just sort of a filler but it's just it's a fun read i love just going over these pages as much as any other colon story the the action and the mood and the shadows it's just really really fun yeah, yeah, it definitely the this is definitely a great vehicle for Gene Colan, um, you know, because of the because of the setting, because he was a Captain America artist for a long time. So, yeah. yeah, it's 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 just like a it's it's a fun return for him to the book even for an issue. Um, you know, because it, you know, it it lets him revisit a character that he knew well and and also in kind of similar settings to where he, <laughs> to what he had been doing for the past uh, almost 10 years on Dracula. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I do wonder though. Did did Cap just let Rawlings stay there in the castle? Did he? <laughs> did he? I mean, he's an ex. He's a Nazi war criminal, basically. But I guess he figures he's probably, you know, his his he's made his own punishment. You know, I uh, I would say. But it's it is kind of interesting to think he just left the guy roaming around in that castle, basically. <laughs> Because it uh, yeah. seems like that's what he did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like in the older story, the way, I mean, he he sort of sacrificed himself to redeem by blowing up the Nazi bases with the the Z rays, and I don't think he has much quality of life now. So it's, it might be a thing where if he if he brings him anywhere else, like I mean, this guy might just be like oozing radiation. It might not be safe to bring him to a populated area. Like, well, that's true too. Yeah, be, yeah. Yeah, stay in this castle. You, you'll probably be gonna be dead in a few weeks anyway. But right, right. I mean, because the guy's got it. He di- he didn't seem very young back in 1940, and this is 40 years later. So yeah. you know, he's got he's got to be he's got to be pushing up into his 70s anyway. So yeah. <laughs> but I, but I like that Cap. I mean, considering I, I mean, you would think the hero moment goes to Rawlings because Cap is hanging precariously. The druid is gonna kill him, and Rawlings, you know tackles them both over the edge, he's sacrificing himself, you're giving the hero moment to Rawlings, but it's still a Captain America book, so Cap reaches his head out and catches his foot and saves him. So Cap is still the hero, and he, he gets that moment too, because that's what Cap does. So it's a nice, right. I, I like that climactic finish. I think that was worthy. Yeah. yeah, I like the fact that Cap says he was getting ready to backflip up, and Rawlings didn't really need to do that. But but it does. Yeah, he did. He sacrificed himself for Cap, and I I figured they were you know having not read this one in a while. I figured they were both going in, but uh, I'm I you know I'm kind of glad that uh, 
I don't know if anybody ever did anything with Rawlings again or not. I don't know if he made any further appearances, but uh, I kind of doubt it. But uh, apparently the Demon Druid returned, and <laughs> it looks like <laughs> it looks like this is the end of him, but maybe he got a hold of some pin particles somewhere and yeah. grew back to normal size. I, I did like the fact that they did mention Ant-Man uh, you know, at one point in here. He said something about it, unless he wants to um, stay the size of Ant-Man permanently or something, so... <laughs> That was a, that was a nice nod, you know. You get you get you get a name drop for him, Hulk, and Wanda yeah. at one point. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a Do you have a particular favorite page or, or a couple of favorite pages? I mean, mine are pretty. We we've talked about all of them. I love the page after the splash with the four panels of Cap grabbing the rope and swinging to safety. I love the page with him uh, blocking the falling gargoyle with his shield with that three panels. I think that one is my favorite. Um, but then I also like some of the pages at the end during the fight. So, uh, what about you? Any any other favorites? Yeah, the of course the one I was talking about where he's sitting on the in <laughs> the, the throne, throne basically. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. King, King Cap. Uh, the 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 page where he's he's trailing the the demon druid. He doesn't know who he is yet, and he's there's like four panels, and he's he's chasing him, and he jumps off a turret, and and then this lightning flash yeah. you can see again, and he he jumps through the rafters when he wants to. It's basically. He's 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 leaping across this battered roof, but he finds the place he wants to drop through the roof. And Colin does, you know, he pulls a Jack Kirby in the last panel where he does some extreme foreshortening. And like Rob is often heard saying on the network, that's hard to pull off. And Colin, of course, can pull it off. And you know that the Cap's right leg is like literally bigger than the rest of his body in that <laughs> panel but but it, it totally works i mean it, it totally it, it, you when you look at it you, you know in the moment you don't it doesn't jump out at you like oh god what why is his leg so big i mean it totally looks like his leg is coming right at the camera and the only the only downside is the color is screwed up and made cap shield almost all red uh but 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 uh uh yeah it looks great and and the way that the the um the beams of the ceiling are framing him. And also the fact that they put the, uh, the caption like across the beam. I don't know who who did that, but that, I guess the letterer, uh, did that. And it's, and it's actually descending. It's like, it's almost like a uh, back, you know, it's like a star Wars crawl almost (laughs) backwards. It's, it's going down the beam. It's and it's yellow too, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a really, it's a really sharp panel. This is just a really well composed comic. And it's, it's a really, it's a really wordy comic, you know. It's 1981. Comics were very wordy, and I think Mantlo was wordier than than some writers. Uh, you know, like you know, approaching kind of a Roy Thomas level of wordiness. But um, but it's it's just it's just super well composed. Yeah, and again, I mean, if the art in this was rushed, because I mean, you think three inkers—that's usually a sign that there there was some trouble and it was a rushed production. But I don't think that shows, and maybe it's just the Mm-mm. fact that that Colin's pencils kind of lend itself to, you know, how it needs to be inked. So maybe that, that, I mean, just like there was a little bit of synchronicity, like everybody was on the same page because there's kind of, I, 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 I have no idea if I'm speaking <laughs> authentically here uh, or what, of what I speak, but it would seem like based on his pencil sketches, there's not a whole lot of varying ways to ink Gene Colin. So maybe that's just like every inker came on knew exactly what they had to do for that to kind of make it feel all one of a piece. So that kind of helped, but I don't know. No complaints about the art in this one at all. Yeah. 
Oh no, no, this is a it's a gorgeous book. Yeah, and it, and, and and I mean, you see a little bit of the difference between. Uh, I think Dave Simon's probably inked that first page where we see uh, Steve and Bucky at the base. That seems more like his style, but I I usually can spot al milgram pretty easily but i'm not i can't really see a whole lot of difference between him and guy Akoya in this i don't i don't know who inked what honestly so i mean that's a good thing when you're you know that you know that you don't want that jumping out at you too much when you're <laughs> uh, especially back especially back in 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 these days when comics were you know uh it, it was more the idea of the like we've said before the monthly issue it wasn't the uh the artist showcase um you know uh, superstar artist showcase kind of like comics are now to a point so right. you, you wanted the inks to to blend and, and they blend pretty well yeah all right well uh cool chris thank you very much for being on this episode and uh, talking about this issue with me uh i i i feel like we could always talk about captain america a little bit more and maybe we should come up with a reason to but uh until until that happens where else can people find you well, as you said, I am uh, with my wife, Cindy. We co-host and uh, produce the JLU cast, which is based on the Justice League animated series. And uh, I do Batman Nightcast with you and with Rob. I do Superman Movie Minute and also the Power Records podcast here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And I have a couple of videos up on the Fire and Water YouTube channel uh, in my uh, Where Did You Get Those Wonderful Toys series, and hopefully I will have another one soon. That's the idea is to to start producing. I've done toy toy room tours, I've, uh, two videos like that. I kind of want to start doing more featured, you know, one toy per episode type thing, kind of like I used to do the podcast. But mm-hmm. this show does work better in a video format. So <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> so So hopefully I'll get some more of those out pretty soon. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, really quick, favorite Captain America toy that you have? Oh wow. Hmm. Yeah. That's. Hmm. I like the. I got the Captain America car from Mego. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I recently got back my uh, Remco Energon. Well, it was the Power Rise, the smaller Power Rise Captain America. It's really not that great of an action feature. His shield just spins. But I love that thing, and I had it as a kid, and I didn't. It got lost along the way, and I got one. Uh, actually, Kyle Benning, uh, uh, our friend, friend of the network, Kyle Benning, pointed out uh, that one was on eBay to me because I mentioned it in a podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, I went and found it and got it. And uh, I don't know, I just like having that back in my house. Of course, I also have like a Hot Toys, uh, Chris Evans, and and uh, so it's, it's, it's like asked me to pick my favorite kid, right? <laughs> I will say I got an early Father's Day gift, and Cindy. Uh, Cindy got me the um, it's the Ultimates cap from World War Two on the motorcycle. Oh, nice! Uh, on the World War Two era motorcycle, and I'm not a fan of how Cap was portrayed in the Ultimates, but I like that look, and yeah, I, of course, cool. it inspired the uh, the first Avenger rescue outfit when yep. you know he's in the leather jacket and everything. So, uh, so I got that. I just gave me that last night. So that that's my new favorite because I just got it. <laughs> that's cool. I, I got the uh, the Marvel Legends 80th anniversary uh, one that's supposed to be like the the Alex Ross design one. Um, mm-hmm. I really like that one. I like the the design, the sculpt, and everything. It I, I'm just eked by how dark the blue is, and I know that's Ross's style. He was going for like how blue the darkness of the blue of the American flag, but I just like the more sort of vibrant, you know, Secret Wars era blue. And I just, I wish the character was just a little bit brighter. 
Yeah, I, I like Captain America being blue like he's colored here in yeah. the, the comic book Captain America, especially. Yeah. But, you know, and, and, you know, we probably should say, you know, given how you introduced this episode with Captain America, you, you've got to go with Captain America represents what America should be. Right. So. Right. So. So we, we you know, it, it, in times when our country's imploding, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's you know, is it, it, it you know. I think you can look to Captain America as, you know, what what's the ideal? What what are we supposed to represent? What are, you know, and and so, you know, I think it's still okay to to be a fan of Captain America to to wear a Captain America t-shirt as, you know, somebody might say, "Dude, what are you wearing that for right now?" But it's like, you know, it's it's like I this is what we're supposed to this is how we're supposed to act. This is what we're supposed to represent. And and uh, you know, not to not to get too preachy here at the end of a Gene Colan episode, but uh, uh, but but and you know, and I think you know when you were talking earlier about Cap uh, when you were younger, you thought Cap was kind of ah, uh, you know, he's he's kind of stodgy, and uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Cap Cap in, in, with Cap, it is hip to be square. He is so he you know, cue the Huey Lewis, right? He right. he's so he's so. Uh, He's so uh, sincere. I mean, he is like Superman, but maybe even more so because he's draped, literally draped in the right. flag. And I mean, and I think Chris Evans did a good job of a, a fantastic did, did, yeah. job of portraying that on the screen. And and uh, and yeah, so so let's uh, let's just take a cap that way. It's, he's the ideal. You know, the, the the country rarely lives up to what <laughs> the ideals cap represents. <laughs> I, I was Hawkeye in like the first couple of years of the Avengers comic, like during the Cap's Kooky Quartet, when he was like, "Man, why are we listening to this guy? This guy is like so old. Can you believe how lame this guy is? Seriously, like he doesn't get it. Like I was just, I was the boss hater that like just like didn't care about the older generation, but it was totally naivety. And then come around by the time I actually started reading Captain America comics, then I was Hawkeye from right before the uh, like West Coast Avengers when he really thinks the world of this guy and looks up to him and respects him. And so I, I, it was my own evolution as a fan that really, you're right. And like, as we were alluding, it's, it's what he represents. It is the, the spirit, not flags or, or statues or ideologies. It's, it's the, the constant, desire that we will always do better and we will never stop fighting for that so well said yeah all right uh well again chris thank you very much for being on this episode um i'll, I'll talk to you next week when we talk about some batman books sounds um, good <laughs> uh folks we're going to take a short promo break right now and then i will be back with your feedback from the last episode the hop along cassidy show don't go away I know it's heartbreaking to have your favorite shows preempted, but look what you're getting instead. TLU Cast brings you Justice League Season 2. Woo! Back in business. The Justice League faces their greatest foes. This is a chance to rid ourselves of the League once and for all. Dark Side. Brainiac. Dr. Destiny. Lex Luthor. Amazo. Vandal Savage. Eclipso. The Joker. Harley Quinn. The Royal Flush Gang. The Secret Society of Supervillains. And themselves? Dale Ucast Season 2, available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and at firewaterpodcast.com. Always have to be the hero, don't you? Right back at you. Since this series is going to follow more of a monthly schedule for the rest of the year instead of weekly, I'm going to try and do listener feedback on each episode. So, 
The last episode was the listener feedback special, but I also covered an issue of the Hopalong Cassidy comic with my guest Jonathan Schaefer Hames from the Married with Comics podcast. We got a lot of great comments, and most of them came from groovy Mike Decker, who took the class to Hoppy School, and I will get to that in a second. But first, Chris Franklin, who you just heard, said, I grew up on old cowboy movies and TV shows thanks to my dad, but Hoppy was a bit of a blind spot. I just didn't have access to him as much as Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, The Cisco Kid, or my favorite, The Lone Ranger. But I do know he was huge when Aladdin Industries slapped a Hopalong Cassidy sticker on one of their overstock metal lunchboxes in 1950, they jump-started the kids' lunchbox as billboard idea that ran wild for decades. The aforementioned groovy Mike Decker left a comment explaining how his mom got him into old TV and B-movie westerns based on her love of Roy Rogers. He watched Six Gun Heroes and Matinee and saw lots of Gene Autry, Buster Crabbe, and others. Like Chris, Mike's favorite western hero was the Lone Ranger. But he never saw Hopalong Cassidy on TV when he was a kid. He then said, Flash forward to early 2000, and my cable system offered an all-Western channel, and finally, I got to watch William Boyd in all of his black-suited and white-haired glory as Hopalong Cassidy, and I have been a fanatic ever since. I have all of the movies and TV episodes on DVD, a replica of the classic Tin Lunchbox, and hardcovers of the four Louis L'Amour Hoppy novels written as Tex Burns. One thing I've never done is track any of the old Fawcett or DC Hopalong Cassidy comics, but this episode has got me interested. I honestly didn't know that Gene Colan, my favorite Daredevil artist, had done such a long run on the series until now. Much obliged, Ryan. In the movies and radio series, Hoppy was always shown to be a cowboy-slash-rancher, mostly as the foreman of Buck Peters' spread, The Bar 20. But on the TV series, he was the Marshal of Twin Rivers, so that's probably why he's depicted as a lawman in the comics, which came out during the peak of Hoppy Mania on TV. This led to a back-and-forth conversation between Mike and Chris trading some of their stories. Then, Martin Gray from the blog Too Dangerous for a Girl said, Cowboy films and TV are a blind spot for me. I think I've only seen High Noon, which was great, and Unforgiven, which was depressing. (laughs) Comics, though, I've read hundreds of Jonah Hex and Scalp Hunter and the like, so I'm up for good cowboy book, and this looks fun. I have heard of Hopalong Cassidy, but don't think his work has been shown over here in my lifetime. And then Martin asked, why Hopalong? Did he have a limp? This part, I actually did a tiny bit of research on this before the show, uh, but it just it didn't make it into our conversation that I had with John. Uh, the character who was known as Hopalong Cassidy originated before any of the TV or movies as a pulp Western hero that looked and acted nothing like the movie and TV version. He was more grisly, surly, violent type, uh, definitely not the image of William Boyd, and he had a wooden leg in the pulps, uh, and that accounted for his limp and how he got his name. 
but that was really all that I knew about it. Mike Decker, of course, shed more light on it, saying, In the first film, Hopalong Cassidy Enters, from 1935, the bar 24-man Bill Cassidy gets shot in the leg by cattle rustlers. He has a pronounced limp for the rest of that film, and when old Uncle Ben, played by the not-yet-famous George Hayes, that's Gabby Hayes, asks if he'll be all right, Bill replies, I'll manage to hop along, all right. Old Hopalong Cassidy, that's me. By the time of the second film, The Eagle's Brood, from 1935, the limp has disappeared, but the nickname sticks around for the rest of the series. Siskoid chimed in that he always assumed it was Cassidy's horse that hopped along. You know, just a normal, bouncy kind of nickname. And then Siskoid also wondered what Season 2 has to offer. Well, as I said, Season 2 won't be much of a weekly seasonal show as much as a monthly series for a little while, but I can tell you that future episodes will include characters like Batman, Doctor Strange, uh, I've got a colon-drawn short story from Erie Magazine planned for October, a war story from Our Fighting Forces for November, and I might do a Howard the Duck Christmas story in December. Next year, I definitely want to cover The Avengers, Superman in the Phantom Zone miniseries, an issue of Captain Marvel, an issue of the Rampaging Hulk magazine, some Nathaniel Dusk, Star-Lord, Detectives Incorporated, possibly some stuff like the Ragamuffins or Gem Son of Saturn, Brother Voodoo. I also have a DC-published graphic novel called Nightwings, which has nothing to do with a Dick Grayson character. It's an adaptation of a fantasy book, I think. I haven't read it yet, so I don't really know what it's about, but I flipped through it and the art looks beautiful. So yeah, I could easily do 25 or 30 episodes of this show. Will I do that many? I don't know. It all kind of depends on, well, if we still have a planet next year, and that's certainly no guarantee. Anyway, I do want to thank all of you for listening to this episode, and I want to thank Chris for joining me to talk about CAP. If you liked our discussion, you can hear the two of us again in just a couple of days on a brand new episode of Batman Nightcast, coming this Sunday. Until then, you know, try and have a happy 4th of July. I know that that might not be the easiest thing to do in times like this, but if it helps... Remember the spirit of Captain America is not fidelity to the nation or the government or monuments or even the flag. It's fidelity to that idea that we can and we should make the world better for the people who believe in peace and liberty and justice. And if you get the chance to punch a Nazi, you go right ahead and punch that goddamn Nazi. Once more, thanks for tuning in to this episode of FW Presents. If you enjoyed our discussion, please support the show on social media by liking or favoriting the posts on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the episode post at fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can always go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a nice five-star review for FW Presents or any other show on the Fire & Water Network. If you really liked the show, like really liked it, like whoa, please donate to the Fire & Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.